They say the church is closed. I say the church has never been more alive. The church has never been about a building. It's always been about people pursuing God and loving people. We're not in a crisis. We're walking through the crisis because God is with us. I will fear no evil. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We are the church, built on the foundation of Jesus as our cornerstone. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We are the church, anchored in hope, grounded on the rock, Jesus Christ. We will not be shaken, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. In challenging times, we don't shrink back, we rise up. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We don't know the future, but we know the one who does. And we are his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So church, it's time to get ready. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. We're not going back to normal. We were never made for normal. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, good morning, Hope Church. Are you glad to be in the house of God today? What a powerful morning. I got to tell you, though, how many of you guys remember in the 1980s and 90s, the Micro Machine guy? It sounds like I'm going to have to do that for the rest of this message. Hurry up and run through it as fast as I can. No, I've got, I've got a message prepared for you. I'm going to try to cut it down a little bit, though, because uh, we do value those times in the presence of God. We believe that, that more can happen in those moments than in the moments that we fabricate. Amen? So uh, we're in the middle of a series called Normal 2.0 right now, where we've been looking at, because of all the things that have happened in our culture over the last few months that have caused us to change the way that we live. It's changed everything about, about the way that we go to work and the way that we worship and the way that we get together and the way that we, we communicate. It's possible that in moments like that, God also wants to reset some things in the church. And what we've been doing is we've been looking in Acts 2. In Acts 2, you see this amazing picture of what the early church looked like, the health and how God was growing the church and the spirit of God was moving powerful be, powerfully because they committed themselves to a few things. And one of those things that we're going to talk about today is community. You see that they realized that they were better together. And that's the title of today's message, Better Together. We are better together. Uh, last year, our family went fishing in Destin, Florida, and there was a large pier that went out into the Gulf, and we're out there, and we were fishing. And while we were fishing, one of the things that we noticed is that there was an Asian family who owned a, a restaurant, and they were fishing for fresh fish to get for their restaurant. And 
they were the only ones who had any luck catching any fish. And, and if you're a fisherman in the house, you'll appreciate this, that what they were using, I'm not kidding you, was the most jank bait I've ever seen, but it was a little hook about this long with, it looked like duct tape wrapped around it, and that's where they were catching. No one else was catching anything. It was crazy. But they're catching fish, and the way they would catch it, because the pier was about 50 feet high, they would hook a fish, and they would hurry up and reel it in, because they were trying to make sure that they could get the fish to the pier before the dolphins would get to the fish. It was crazy. So they would hook the fish, reel it in, and then it would yank it up and slam it down on the pier, and then the children would come in, it would pick up the fish and put them in the ice chest. It was the funniest thing to see. But there was a crowd that had formed around them because there were all these dolphins that were trying to pick off their, their, food, their food. And the crowd was rooting for the dolphins. They were cheering if the dolphin would catch the fish, the crowd would clap and they were cheering for the dolphin. But one of the things I thought was so interesting is that the dolphins didn't have as much luck picking off fish when they were in the school. But the moment they were hooked and pulled out of the school, the dolphin would have an easy target. And I was reminded about how that's exactly what it's like in the spirit whenever we get ourselves outside of community and the enemy tempts us, pulls us out of the community that God established for every believer to be a part of, we become an easy target for the enemy. We begin to, to, to make ourselves attractive. Like whenever the enemy sees us, he sees us limping on our own. He's like, I can get that one because they don't have a family. They don't have a community. And in Acts 2, you see this really cool picture that is really, honestly, it's in opposition to the way a lot of Montanans do life. Because from what I've heard about you guys is you like your solitude. But there is a difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude can be healthy. Time in the presence of God alone can be healthy. Moments outside in the wilderness, enjoying the presence and the, and the glory of God can be healthy. But isolation is something altogether different. And it can be dangerous to our spiritual man. So in Acts 2, you see this great picture of what it looked like. In, in verse 40, I'm going to jump into 44. It says this in verse 44, And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What, this is such a statement of inclusion because if, if you would understand the culture of that day would be that in the local church, it was such a statement of you belong, we all belong and we're united because of Jesus, not because of our race or because of our status or anything. Jesus brought everyone together just like he wants to bring them together today. So there would be poor people and rich people in the same environments and needs being met. So you saw this inclusion, this spirit of this community was a spirit that helped and encouraged every believer. And I just want to encourage you today that there are people that need you and you need people. Every one of us, no matter how weak or strong you might feel, we are all in desperate need of community. And I want to really, I want to look at this, this guy in the Bible. His name is John the Baptist. You've probably heard of him. He's kind of a legend in the New Testament. And, and if you're taking notes today, the first thing I need you to write down, this will hopefully help you, is that isolation is detrimental to the weak and the strong. 
So whether you consider yourself weak or strong, isolation is detrimental. And you see that even in this guy, John the Baptist's life. So John the Baptist is the man who's, he's actually Jesus' first cousin, and he's, or he's a cousin of Jesus, and he recognizes Jesus as he's stepping into his ministry on earth. So he sees Jesus, he tells the crowds Jesus is coming, he baptizes Jesus, he's a legend in the faith. But then all of a sudden he finds himself in prison because he's, he does the right thing. He makes a statement of, of righteousness that the king did not like. He finds himself in prison about to be beheaded and he begins to lose his faith. In Matthew 11, it says this. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. This is the man who recognized Jesus before anyone else. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? You know, what's interesting about this is that John found himself alone in isolation. He didn't put himself in isolation, but the effect is the same. In isolation, he began to question Jesus. He began to wonder if Jesus really was who he said that he was. And in moments of isolation that we find ourselves in or that we put ourselves in, we can begin to lose faith as well because we don't have the life-giving power of the community of God around us. We need it for our faith to be built, for us to be encouraged daily, for us to have people pray for us. We need the community of God. And this guy, John the Baptist, he kind of he he didn't have any of that. In this moment, he's in a moment of isolation. And I was reading a study about inmates in isolation. And this is one of the things that they said, they call the whole solitary confinement. And they said this, the whole is depressing enough to drive men to take their lives in order to escape. It's easy to see why a man would prefer death. Isn't it amazing that people in solitary confinement realize that they would prefer death than being isolated? Why is it then that we choose to be isolated thinking that's what we need? Do you know Montana has the highest suicide rate in the country? And what's wild is it's also one of the most beautiful places in the country. And you would think, I've heard people say in the summertime, this is paradise. Why would people want to take their lives if they live in paradise? And there's a lot of different things that can equate to that. But in the study, I found something very interesting. It said that in, since 1999, the suicide rate in Montana has risen 65%. Since 1999, do you know what else started in 1999? The first social media started in 1999. Now, I'm not saying it's a definite sign that these two are connected, but isn't it interesting that all of a sudden when social media, the platform where we compare our lives to other people's lives, depression and isolation became more prevalent. Suicide became more prevalent. Is it possible that whenever we compare ourselves to other people, and we don't actually live in community, but we just observe other people that it's not good for us? Is it possible that us believing the lies we see on social media? How many of you posted something on social media this week? Raise your hand, just, just raise your hand if you posted something. So all of you are liars, we're all liars. And here's why, on social media, you, you decide what people see. When you take a photo, you crop out certain things. You want to show only what you want people to see. You're lying every time you take a photo. Every time you, every time you post something on social media, you post the good things. My wife and I might go on a date night and we're posting that we're having a good time, but I didn't post that we argued on the way. I, I, I was just showing the good stuff, right? But what's interesting is, is, 
is we buy into it and we compare ourselves and we're like, man, my life's not like theirs. Their life's not like theirs either. It's, it's not even real. But we compare ourselves to that in a spirit of comparison and make us feel like I don't belong. They were having fun. I wasn't there. All these different things can, can lead into the spirit where we feel like isolation is the answer. If I just get away, just get away from people. The problem is in those times, we miss out on the blessing of community. In verse 11, Jesus makes a comment about John the Baptist's statement. John the Baptist is like, are you the one you say that, that we thought you were? Are you the, really the Messiah? And Jesus says this about John the Baptist, it's crazy. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty incredible statement that he would say that this man was, there was no one like him. Such a man of God, but this man of God lost his faith when he got isolated. I went fishing one time and, I, and we get stuck on the sandbar in this boat. And when we got stuck on the sandbar, the boat couldn't do anything to get off. It was a 200 horsepower engine, just a powerful boat. But I had to get out of the boat and rock the boat a little bit, standing in about knee deep water because the boat couldn't move. I had to rock it and help the boat to get out. Even though the boat was way more powerful than I was, it still needed a hand. And even though you might feel like, I got this, I'm strong enough, you need a hand sometimes. We all do. We need the community of God. We need this body of believers. In verse 14, Jesus continues as he talks about John the Baptist, and this is a cool statement. He says, if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, one of the, pro the one the prophet said would come. Now, Jesus is not advocating for, you know, that, that re reincarnation is a thing in Christianity. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that the spirit that was in Elijah, that same anointing is on John the Baptist. So you see, not only is John the Baptist in his own right a powerful man of God, but he carries the spirit of this man who was also a powerful man of God, legendary guys. Like they would have gotten, like you remember those little gold trophies you would win when you were a kid? They would have had profit ones. They would have had trophies because they were so, they were legendary. But what's interesting about Jesus bringing up Elijah is that both John the Baptist and Elijah got discouraged when they were isolated. Both of them. In 1 Kings 18, you know the story? It's one of my favorite stories. It's amazing that this happened. The false prophets try to call down fire from their false gods. Elijah's making fun of them. He get them to douse the altar, surround it, get it all wet. And then he calls down fire from heaven. God does this amazing miracle. Then they kill all the false prophets, 450 of them. It's like, this is like a movie. Like you can't even watch it because it's R-rated. Like your mom wouldn't even let you watch it, but it's an awesome Bible story. This man though, the one who just did this incredible thing, a few verses later, a few verses later, Queen Jezebel, this godless queen, finds out what Elijah did to her prophets and says, may the gods kill me if by tomorrow morning he's not dead. So Elijah starts freaking out. He runs away. And this is what happens in verse 19. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town of Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree. <laughs> Look at this sad image. He travels all days by himself. It's a solitary broom tree, and he prays that he might die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. I, I, get, the, I get the impression that Elijah's a little bit of an emotional guy. 
And he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. This dude is a legend. And he loses his faith in a moment. His faith in God's ability to save him, his faith in what God has called him to. He's like, he's like I'm a nobody. He was a somebody. But in his isolation, he lost the truth. And in isolation, we can all lose the truth. We begin to say things that aren't true. We begin to tell ourselves little lies. And those little lies derail us. You need community because you need somebody to tell you the truth. You need somebody to tell you the truth about you, to remind you who you are in Jesus. In isolation, we just don't do that. All we see is lies and we convince ourselves of those things. You need somebody in your life that's gonna be honest enough to tell you, hey man, you could really use a stick of gum right now. Or, hey man, you got some broccoli in your teeth right now. You need that kind of relationship. You need that kind of edification that builds, that builds you up. And I just, I'm fascinated how so many people choose to be isolated instead of connect to the body of Christ. And, you know, one of the things that we realized whenever Brooke and I were starting our church in Baton Rouge a few years ago, we didn't want to do that alone. We wanted to be a part of a community because we didn't know what we were doing. So we got, we got, we got connected with a, with a community of church planters called ARC. It stands for Association of Related Churches. And this church is a part of that as well. But I met a guy named Joe Pena. Some of you guys know Joe. But it was because of that relationship with him that I built over the years that I found out that Hope Church was looking for somebody. God blessed our family in a tremendous way. Now we're living in Montana and just like this has been such a blessing for us, but it's because I'd made a decision to be a part, to be connected, to be in a community. There was in a couple of years um, into our church life, actually the first year, Baton Rouge had a big flood. In the big flood, so many people lost things. Our church lost everything we had. We lost about $50,000 of equipment. And in that, whenever that happened, I was kind of in a moment where I was like, I could just call this quit. This is a pretty good time to just quit because I'm not really loving this anymore. It's not going like I thought it was gonna go. But for some reason, because I was connected to this community, God was like, I'm not done with you yet. So what happened is I got a call from a pastor of a big church in Baton Rouge. And he said, hey, I know you guys lost your stuff. I want to give you $25,000. So he gives me $25,000. Over the next 20, I'm not kidding you, 24 hours after we lost everything in the trailer, we had every single cent repaid. People from churches all over the country stepped up. They gave money, they gave resources. The next day, I had another pastor I'd never met before, and he said, how much do you need? I said, we're still short $11,000. He's like, Come see me, I'll write you a check. It's just amazing to see that God had done that. A couple of years later, our church trailer got stolen. I go on Sunday morning, we're a portable church to set up for church on Sunday morning. Our church trailer's not there. What are we gonna do? Well, it's a good time to shut the church down, I guess. Well, it wasn't because God was not done with us at that point either. Churches from all over the country gave money and equipment and trailer and all kinds of stuff, everything we needed. And we were up and running in two weeks again. It was just insane to see what God was doing. And it was because we had made a decision to be a part of a community, not to do it alone. And I'm just telling you, there's a blessing that comes when you connect to the body of Christ. So Elijah, he separates himself and you see this powerful moment. He gets up in the mountain and God passes with fire and an earthquake and a storm. And then in a whisper, 
and God speaks to him and God is trying again and again and again to redeem him and say, you're not alone. I'm with you and there's purpose in your life yet. But Elijah keeps dismissing it. Verse 14, right after the gentle whisper, he replies again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. You know, Elijah was not telling the truth. He was not the only one left. To him, he thought he was the only one left. And sometimes when we isolate ourselves, we can begin to think, I'm the only one. I am the only one left. I'm the only one who knows which version of the Bible to read. I'm the only one who knows you fill in the blank. We know all these religious people who begin to say these crazy things. How does it happen? It happens because of isolation, because we're not connected and growing from other believers. We need that connection with other people. And Elijah begins to believe this lie. And he's just, I, I thought it was fascinating that he's in this place of weakness when he didn't have to be. He put himself in that spot. There's a, there's a video I wanted to show you guys that's just, it might be the best thing I say today if you can get the imagery. But on BBC, there's a show, Planet Earth. I love Planet Earth. How many of you remember when Discovery Channel was about animals? Now it's like you're driving in a truck down an ice road or something. But, it's, but it was fascinating when I was watching, there was a clip of this lion who's, I mean, you'd think that's a powerful beast. Beast's gonna be, he's gonna be all right on his own. But he got away from one of his friends that he would hunt, he'd be hunting with, and he gets surrounded by hyenas. And what he was capable of all of a sudden changed, and he needed some help. I want you to check this out. <laughs> by over 20 of them. The pack tries to wear him down. This number of hyenas could kill him. It's impossible to fight them all at once. He can't keep them at bay for much longer. He's tiring fast. His ally, Tartu, has heard the commotion. have changed. Even for 20 hyenas, a pair of male lions is too much to take on. Man, what a powerful image. I love the statement that he says when he, he just talks about the odds have changed. Isn't that cool? That like in community, I believe that the odds change. That in community, we can put more to flight than we can put on our own. That the enemy, he sees someone vulnerable on their own, but together in community, he can't get to you. He can't get you. And the truth is, when you need those people to remind you, you're not alone. You got God and you got me. 
And Elijah tells himself, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. And God reminds him in verse 18. He's like, no, you're not the only one. He says, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. Elijah was surrounded by people who had not lost their faith in God. But he didn't see it because he was alone, because he was isolated. And what I think is interesting about this whole story, if you continue, just like the next verse, and this might be my interpretation, but I think it's interesting that right away, God tries to remind Elijah, you're not alone, you're not alone, you still made it, you're still, you're still made for this. And he just can't believe it. He keeps talking about how he's alone and he's afraid for his life. And God tells him, well, if I can't do it with you, I want you to find Elisha and I want you to anoint him. And I think that what I've seen in my, in my own life, and I know this is true, that outside of community, there's not, the anointing's not, the anointing's not there. The anointing is in unity and in community. And together, when we do life together and we realize that we need each other, there's a spirit that's, that's available. There's a power, there's an anointing that does not come when you try to do it on your own. You know, there's no spiritual gift of Lone Ranger. But so many of us think, and don't we try? I've tried. What if I can just try a little harder? What if I could just strain a little bit more? What if I could just, what if I just prayed harder? What if I just, I could do it on my own? No, you can't. You were created not to be able to do it on your own. The only one who did it on his own, did it on his own so that we would never be alone. Jesus, in his human form, as humanity, he was all God, but he's also all man. And as he's all man, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he sees what's ahead of him. And he longs for community. He longs for support. In Mark 14, verse 33, it says that Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Why did Jesus say that? Because his humanity was crying out for support, for help, for I'm with you, Jesus. I'm praying with you. I'm here for you. Jesus didn't get it because he couldn't get it. He needed to be isolated so that we would never be. He needed to take on the curse of sin and death completely and isolation is part of it. So it had to be that Peter, James, and John would fall asleep on Jesus because the Holy Spirit will never fall asleep on you. You're never gonna be alone because Jesus was alone. This is the last thing, actually, if you're taking notes, you can write down, Jesus was abandoned on the cross so we would never be. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm so grateful in the prophecy about Jesus. This is so true, and this gives me hope today, knowing that it says in Isaiah 53, verse three, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we didn't care. That chapter is so intense when you think about what Jesus would have to go through, what was prophesied about him, and he endured it so you wouldn't have to. He endured all of that so you would never, ever be alone. So why do we choose to be? Why do we think that it's some badge of honor that I would isolate myself, that I would be alone, that it's, that it's something worthy of praise, that I did it, almost, did it all by myself? If you did it all by yourself, you missed the point. And you missed so many blessings along the way. We need the community of God. We need to be connected with others. Solitude for a moment 
Isolation, never. We never chose, we never are supposed to live in isolation. We need each other. I need you. You need me, hopefully. Pastor Lance needs us. We all need each other. That's why as a practical step, we always talk about connect groups. We try to push people towards connect groups because we understand we're not just trying to give you something else to do during the week. We understand that that is where the lifeblood of a local church is, that you're gonna find hope and healing and encouragement and strength when you've got people praying over stuff that you're not willing to tell a large group of people, but you got a few close people. You can say, here's the real me and here's how you can help. There's strength in that. We need to be connected. So I want to challenge you today. I, I, I just pray that whatever was of the Spirit of God today, that it would land in your heart and it would be cultivated, that it would grow, that you would recognize your need for someone, for people. That wherever there's a spirit of isolation, Really what isolation is on so many levels, at least whenever I deal with it, is it's, it's pride. I don't need you. I got this. I don't trust you with my stuff. I'm not gonna tell you. It's, it's really an arrogant way to look at life. And I don't, want, I don't wanna live that way. I wanna live being blessed by your fellowship and me being able to bless you. That only comes whenever we make a decision to connect to, to, to really be a part of the family of God. So I wanna ask you to stand up. And I just wanna pray a prayer over you that God would release a spirit of community, togetherness, this new, this normal 2.0 that we saw in the early church. But the other thing, and really the more important one, it might not pertain to as many of us, but there might be someone here today that you recognize I have not fully committed my life to Jesus. Maybe you've never done anything like this before where you've said, I'm a sinner and I need a savior, I need Jesus. Maybe you're kind of first time in the doors of a church or watching online and you're challenged to surrender your life to Jesus or maybe you've kind of done something like that and you're like, I have not followed Christ. I've really gone back to doing it on my own Maybe you don't really feel like you've isolated yourself that much, but you know that you're distant from God. And you would say today, I need to make a decision to return to Jesus. So if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus today, or maybe you say, I need to come back. I need to come back home. I need to trust him with my life again. Then I'm gonna ask you to just make a decision between you and God today. So if I could have just no one looking around, just a moment between us and God. If that's you, if you'd say, I need Jesus today. I wanna to surrender my life to him. I wanna I I trust him with my future. I'm not gonna do it on my own anymore. If that's you, if you say, I need Jesus, could you just lift your hand? Lift your hands. Thank you, Jesus, I see it. Thank you, Jesus. I want us to pray a prayer together. Just a prayer of surrender to Jesus. It's real simple and it's not about what you say, it's about the position of your heart. So let's just say this together. Let's say, Lord Jesus, I recognize my need for you today. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I know you're the perfect son of God and you were abandoned so I would never be. I know you offer me relationship today. 
So I accept that free gift. I give you my past, present, and future. And I walk into relationship with you, trusting you with my whole life. It's yours in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for every person that's listening today, whether they're here, online, and they've believed the lie that isolation is the answer. God, I just pray that you would break down the wall or the damage that's been done from past relationships. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that isolation is a lie and it's not what you've called us to. So I pray that you would awaken in us a desire for community. Help us to trust again. Help us to love people again and recognize our need for the community of believers again. And Lord, I just pray that through this church, there would be a wave of community and love and blessing each other in relationship that would begin. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your word. And I pray that everything that was of you today would land and it would be planted and it would bear fruit. In Jesus' name.